Well, you've asked me some questions from last week. There are a series of them. I'm going to race through them. The first is this. Uh, how do we know what Jesus prayed in his private prayer on the night before he died? Well, at the end of John chapter 16, we read that Jesus had been talking to his disciples and then he immediately looked up to heaven and said, Father. And so all of the stuff that we have in John chapter 17, we've looked at over the last three weeks, he, he said it in front of the disciples. So they'd write it down so we would then benefit from it, as of course we have over the last three weeks as we've read our Bibles. Question two, what hymn was sung at the Last Supper? And you might think, oh, well, who, who would have any idea? Well, uh, traditionally after the Passover meal, the participants would sing Psalms 115 through to 118. Interesting. So I think it's quite likely that Jesus and the disciples sang from Psalms 115 through to 118. Uh, in particular, here are a few verses that are in those uh, those psalms. This is just before Jesus is about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, He would have sung, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. He would have sung Psalm 116. The snares of death encompassed me. The pains of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. And then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And then he would have sung in Psalm 118. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And then verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. Not only would the... The, Jesus and the disciples have been singing it at that time. But all of the Jews would have been singing the same things in their Passover meal. And yet the next day, they rejected that cornerstone. Fascinating, isn't it? Well, question three. If Judas repented, then would Jesus have forgiven him? Well, yes, because all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he never would have, and he never did. We know that he was deeply remorseful for betraying Jesus. And yet, what did he do? He, he had pity on himself and he took his own life. He didn't come to the cross and say to Jesus, please forgive me. And so, no, he was not forgiven. Question four. Does our preference for unity show an innate desire for God's love? We talked a bit about that last week when we saw that near the end of John 17 that we will know the Father's love when we experience unity. It's a way of knowing the love of the Father. I think, to an extent, yes, I think we do enjoy unity. When, when we're all together in the, the same mindset, the same heart, the same passion, we, we enjoy that. And I think when, when you take that up a notch with Christians, when we enjoy the unity that we have here tonight and the unity of partnering together and the unity of praying together, I, I think this gives us a heightened experience of the Father's love that's talked about there. And it's what we're made for. Question five, when God said, let us make man in our image, is this the same us as John 17, 21? Well, uh, this first quote was out of the first chapter of the Bible, which said, let us make man in our own image. That's what God said. Um, and you're thinking, why is God talking to himself like that? You know, why, didn't, why wouldn't he say, 
let me make man in my own image. Well, I, I think it's right for us to see at that particular point, the opening chapter of the Bible, a, a, uh, an echo of the Trinity, or in fact, maybe the Trinity explicitly, the Trinity there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is speaking to the other members of the, the Trinity, saying, let's make man in our image. And so I think then in John 17, when Jesus speaks of the unity he has with the Father, when he says, verse 21, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I'm in you. I think it's the same us. And it's the unity there that Jesus speaks of as he's talking about himself and the Father. That's the same unity that we hear spoken and expressed in the first chapter as humans are created. Question six, when we're in heaven, will we be able to speak to Jesus' disciples and dead friends? Well, once dead friends, now raised friends. Uh, we don't get heaps of detail about what heaven is like, as fascinating as it is, but there are enough echoes in the Bible that, that we will have relationships that are similar in ways to our life on earth. So in 2 Samuel 12, David says that when he dies, he will go to his son. Uh, Matthew 26, Jesus says that, that he says to his disciples that in heaven he will drink the fruit of the vine with them. And then Paul in 1 Thessalonians talks about how the people he ministered to on earth will be his proud reward and crown as he stands before the Lord. I reckon there are enough hints there that the relationships that we have with each other where we can be with each other and know each other, I think it seems more likely than not that we will express and enjoy those when we're gathered in heaven as well. Question seven. How should we respond to a Jehovah's Witness when they come to our door? Uh, I, in years past, I tried to invest time with Jehovah's Witnesses to, to try and reason with them from the scriptures about why their beliefs are so seriously different from the Bible and the real Christianity that we read there. But in my experience, this kind of sitting down and reasoning and talking with them in a, over time, uh, it's never really worked for me. So my approach is now to say something like, you don't realise it, but you're in a cult and you've been brainwashed with lies about Jesus and the Bible. If you escape from this cult, then when they alienate you from your friends and family, as they will, please come back to my home here, and I will introduce you to my friends at Jamboree Anglican, and we will love you and accept you and lead you to the real Jesus of history with his real hope and assurance and forgiveness. Now, that's a little bit out of my comfort zone to say that sort of stuff because I'm sort of like a smile and wave kind of guy. But I, I, I kind of do it because usually when you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness, there'll be people who've been around the block a lot of times and then they've usually got someone in training who just get learning the ropes. And I want to say to them, I want them to walk away from 20 Tate Place like they've had a block of wood banged on their head. They're going, what the heck just happened then? So that the Lord by his spirit might in the middle of the night wake them up and say I'm, I, I'm deluded with these guys I need to come to the real Jesus so they don't just have another kind of ho-hum conversation I, I don't mean to be divisive or full of conflict and things but I, I know people who have been pulled out of their family tragic things have happened through the Jehovah's Witness Church because it is a cult it brainwashes people and I want them to know the real Jesus Question eight, uh, what do Mormons and Scientologists believe differently to us? Uh, lots and lots of things. Uh, the Mormons, um, they believe that God the Father was once a man who progressed to Godhead 
And we too can be a God just like him. They believe the Trinity is three different gods and there are thousands of different gods. They believe Jesus was a spirit child of a heavenly father and mother. They believe Adam's sin was good because it meant that humans could become mortal and therefore start the process of becoming gods. And they also believe everyone's saved by grace. Every single human is saved by grace. But that believing in Christ brings you to the highest kingdom as long as you go along to their Mormon temples and obey their special laws. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints shares the name Jesus Christ, but that's about it. It is a graphic and drastic distortion of the truth that is leading people to hell. What about Scientology? Even weirder. Uh, <laughs> This is a weird, weird, weird religion. They believe that there are multiple gods. Some are above others. They deny Jesus is God. He's just a lesser God. Humans are inherently good. There's no need to repent. They believe in reincarnation. All religions lead to wisdom and salvation. And they also charge you millions of dollars ultimately to join. And that's why the rich basically are the only ones who are included. And if you try and get out, they will punish and blackmail you and share your secrets that you've confessed to the wider public. Uh, it is an evil religion. The message of grace in Jesus is so simple and it's so wonderful. And I don't mean to be unkind to people who have these other beliefs, but when you stack them up against the, the message of the gospel with such grace and truth and life and freedom, I just want people to be so attracted to, to Jesus. Two more questions. Question nine, is casting lots the same as gambling? Not necessarily. They both involve chance. Uh, gambling is about making money at the expense of another person on the basis of chance. Casting lots is used throughout the Bible at different times to help people make decisions. A bit funny, isn't it? I don't know if you've cast lots at different times to decide whether you'll choose this job or that job or go on this holiday or that holiday or whether, you know, I, I haven't, but it, you may. And at times in the Bible, they had, they had to pick someone to replace Judas so who, what do they do? They cast lots and Matthias pops out. And away he goes. He's the 12th disciple. So it's not the same as gambling. Finally, question 10. Is it a sin to question God's existence? Well, if you're talking about doubt, let me say that doubt is normal in the Christian life. If you feel at times you think, hang on a second, is all this God stuff really, really true? Uh, don't think that God is about to say, okay, you are out. I hate you. Nothing to do with you. Go to hell doesn't work that way. As you read the Psalms, you're going to read the psalmist wrestling with the existence of God. And sometimes it sounds like real, authentic doubt. And yet that's what God's people were supposed to say in the temple. These words of doubt and questioning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, it's not an unchristian thing to doubt. Uh, However, if you go through life to the point where your doubt leads you to no faith and you reject Jesus completely and turn away from God, then ultimately that is a sin and that will lead you to hell. But if you're going through life and at times you think, wow, is it really all true because it just seems too good to be true or just sometimes someone says something to me that makes me scratch my head, that's okay. Don't worry about that. Come to God, keep reading the Bible, pray, talk to a friend and say, gee, I'm feeling a bit wobbly as a Christian at the moment. Have them sit down. If they've said that to you, you say, let me pray with you. You know it's true. Yeah, it's true. And away you go.